everyone. Welcome to What Really Works, a mental health podcast for young adults and youth. In these podcasts, you can expect to hear us chat about mental health and provide well-being tips and tricks with the odd joke thrown in. What Really Works is brought to you by Discovery College, an initiative run by the Canadian Mental Health Association Kelowna, where lived and living experience and learned experience informs everything we do. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hello, What Really Works listeners. I hope you're all doing okay today. If you're not doing okay, that's all right as well. Um, So it's me, Becky, your host, and I am joined by Paige again. Hello. Uh, So some of you may remember Paige was part of our counseling episode. And in that episode, you kind of threw in there that one of your kind of areas of knowledge with counseling is life transitions Mm -hmm. and I was like that would be a great topic to talk about (laughs) yep so you're back we didn't scare you off nope not at all (laughs) I had so much fun last time and Susie said like emailed me about life transitions I was like uh yeah I could talk about that for days so yes please thank you for the platform (laughs) (laughs) well and also I was like I hadn't even ever thought about it as like a topic but then as soon as you said it I was like that is huge mm-hmm. um for like so many different reasons especially since we said like we aim for this podcast to be for like young folks as well right yeah. there's just like a whole other level of life transitions going on there as well I feel so I was like this is a a great place for us to kind of start and yep. yeah yeah your young adult years or like even your late teens those are some of the biggest transitionary periods of your life with so many pressures in comparison to other times where you might feel more established or have like more stability in certain areas. When you're going into adulthood, you're navigating so much. Yeah. So much. And like, not only are we navigating so much, but I'm also like, I feel like there's also a lot of external like pressures on that of like, oh, like, you're going to be an adult now and it just almost like the way that a lot of people talk about almost is like oh there's going to be like a like a switch that flips one day yeah and you go from being a kid to an adult yeah suddenly within a day or like an hour from like midnight when you go from 17 to 18 yeah you can vote yeah (laughs) and it's like you are officially an adult and it's like I remember like people would say that all the time to me and I was like, I feel exactly the same. I just, yeah, I'm just still working it out. Like I don't feel any kind of different, Yeah, but people would be like, well, you're 18 now. So you're an adult like, Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) What do I do with that? Oh no. What does that mean? Yeah. (laughs) Well, the thing I think is really crappy about hitting 18 or even 19 because it's dependent on the program but you age out of programs Mm -hmm. when and when you age out of things and there's not enough supports for your quote-unquote adult years then what it's scary it's frustrating that's why I love how foundry goes to 24 it kind of gives that additional space to kind of grow and develop into your adulthood and not feel like all of a sudden everything's just like cut yeah but that's even still scary again because even you age out of that program right? yeah exactly and then it's like okay well where do I go next mm-hmm. like just because I've had a birthday mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I don't want support in things anymore right yeah and they're doing more and more research and like the longer they do research on the brain the more they're recognizing that we're getting older and older when they're saying oh yeah we're we have a fully developed brain at like i i can't remember if it's 25 or 27 at this point but that's a long time after 18 man yeah, like, <laughs> yeah and the, oh my brain's only just developed <laughs> fully developed right like it's I just sometimes find, especially with like the idea of like transition to adulthood in the way that maybe like societally is seen as almost like a bit arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Like it's a bit like, oh, we picked a number and that's when things change for you. And I mean, I guess like it's in the sense of like, depending on where you are, maybe it's because like legally you can do more things now, like vote or drink or um like maybe you're aging out of school and things like that right Mm -hmm. but yeah I still feel like it feels a bit like arbitrary where it's like ah yes this is the number when 
Yeah. And I wonder, when they just, I wonder when they determined that because like people used to get married when they were like 13, 14 and having babies at that age, like back in the day when like, like longevity of life was way shorter. Yeah. But they were considered like adult enough to <laughs> reproduce. Well, and then that's a whole other title of fish. Absolutely. Because even when it comes to like media discussing stories about people, they will pick and choose depending on what they're reporting, whether they're going to say someone is a child or an adult. Right. Um, which is particularly interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's so much. There's so there's many so implications. But I guess like if we're first talking about life transitions, mm-hmm. what does that even like mean to you? Like if if you were going to talk about life transitions to somebody, like what does that mean? So in the simplest of terms, going through a change and that can be a big one. It can be a small one. But regardless, if you're probably going to counseling re- related to a life transition, it's associated with it impacting your life in some form of way that brings you discomfort, negative feelings, anxiety. You could also at the same time be excited for this new change or this new opportunity, but maybe it didn't turn out the way you expected or it was more stressful than you anticipated. And sometimes there's things that were completely out of our control that just came into our life. And uh, yeah, that we just didn't even know was going to be coming. And then suddenly we're like, oh, now I have to revamp everything and readjust and and learn how to live this new normal. Yeah, that that's there's just so many different pieces that come into it, right? When it's mm-hmm. like that adjusting piece. Yeah. Like it's not like as humans, I think we generally don't like change. No. <laughs> we like predictability yes. and knowing what's going to come next and our routine. So then when things like come and at, like force that change, it's it's hard and it's uncomfortable. And depending on where we're at, like that level of uncertainty that's involved mm-hmm. with it as well can really impact us as well, right? Absolutely. And big life changes that we felt completely helpless within where we didn't have the opportunity to utilize our fight or flight responses or find healthy ways to cope, we can actually experience trauma associated with those changes. And when that occurs, we don't often recognize the signs because it's like, was I threatened or was my life like logistically in danger or am I just feeling like crap because this stuff has been changing? But if we don't know how to recognize and acknowledge like, oh my gosh, like I'm way more escalated and agitated and I'm feeling all of these emotions with this intensity but I don't know what's going on within me. And a lot of my educating with people is talking about trauma responses and understanding our anxiety and understanding what the freeze response even is and how when we hit a state of overwhelm, when we can't use our fight or flight, we can go into like an autopilot or a numbing. And that's what often clients come into my office with is that numbing, that detachment from their body, but they just know that they don't feel good and that their life is just not functioning the way it was at another time. Really interesting. Because I hadn't even thought of it in that way of like, it makes sense, right? For like something really sudden or something really big or like change being scary, right? Like our bodies goes into that natural like fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, what is going on? It's literally (laughs) screaming inside it sometimes of like, what is happening? What do I do now? And if I were to give like really like blatant or like, blatant or blunt those are the wrong words for sure if I was to give specific examples uh grief associated with like relationship loss or a death uh, those are two two big ones um and often we don't accept or um associate change with grief grief can come from any form of loss whether it's a loss of opportunity whether it's a loss of relationship the loss of a loved one because of death uh, it can be um even just as simple as loss of a job Um, that we really enjoyed. Maybe we didn't even like it, but it might have been our financial security or loss of housing. How many people in the Okanagan especially have been displaced because the people who owned their rental property uh, decided to sell. And then suddenly they're left with having all these decisions to make and have to move and moving is stressful. And uh, (laughs) it could be anything. What, What a life transition or a change and how it affects us affects us all very differently. So I also want to premise that like, 
I can say that maybe the loss of a loved one could be traumatic or could be grief um, related, but how it impacts one person may not be as bad as it impacts another person. It's not the event that is traumatic. It's how our bodies act and react and, and feel supported or unsupported and all those different layers and pieces. That's something that I've been learning a lot about recently because um, I've been reading uh, Gabo Mate. Um, Is it? Are you reading the Myth of Normal? No, I'm actually reading the In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts at oh, the moment. So but I was like, I'm about halfway through it and been really enjoying it. So I went and bought the Myth of Normal because I was like, okay, I need yeah. to know about this. I'm on chapter four of Myth of Normal, and already I'm just like, oof, this is aligning with all of my learnings about trauma and anxiety and just like societal pressures. Like it's already nailing it. Oh yeah, I'm actually really excited to read it because um, like for people who haven't heard of Gabor Mate, he is like is trained as a physician. He is yeah. correct, um, but does a lot of work into trauma and healing and addiction and just all the many different things that life can impact us in lots of different ways. And a huge thing that he talks about is um, how trauma isn't the event trauma like you say is what happens in the body um which I actually when I started reading that I was like that actually provides like a lot of hope and a lot of place to grow Mm -hmm. because if if we're saying trauma is the event like we can't undo the event we can't undo the change we can't undo like whatever's caused like grief right but if it's what's happening in the body then actually we can do something to like support ourselves with whatever's going on in the body and I was like oh that's actually that provides hope yes rather than the like feeling to fight with like oh if this had never happened then I would be okay bingo and instead be like okay that's happened and that really sucks yes to say the least but there's things I can do to support myself right Well, it gives us a sense of control in the uncontrollable. Yeah. Because in our human lives, it is inevitable that we're going to go through stressful situations. Whether that ends up being a traumatic situation is is dependent on how supported we feel, whether we have already built up a sense of resiliency. Like, are we treating our bodies and our minds in ways that are fulfilling and satisfactory and healthy that make it so that if an event occurs that we already have that base kind of set up. But the reality is with how stressful life has been, especially since 2020 hit and the pandemic came to fruition and the trauma associated with that, that we don't even half the time even acknowledge the fear and the anger. And those are fight or flight emotions, right? And just, yeah, there's just so many impacts that... We just didn't even know. Like, was that unpredictability piece? Like how we wish we had predictability, knowledge of the future, these massive life changes, these restrictions, inability to connect. And that inability yeah. to, connect, to connect was one of like probably one of the biggest um, damaging things that we had to experience yeah. at that time. But yeah. And I think what's really interesting is about you saying about like all the other things we have going on in our lives in the sense of like how we've built resilience in the past and like where we're at and that kind of stuff I'm presuming that also helps when it comes to things like life transitions like almost like what's our baseline of how we support ourselves generally versus um maybe how we don't necessarily support ourselves and like have that awareness of ourselves yeah well, if we looked at like the analogy of like a, a glass um, and it having like maybe it's half full, like there's some water in it, but there's still enough room to pour more water in. So if we were looking at water as like stress and we're pouring more water into the, the glass, if we hit the point where our cup is full in the way that it's like I don't have any capacity to take on any more that anything else that comes in is like dripping over, but like the glass can't grow all we can do is try and remove certain things or make it so that like our bodies feel like they have the capacity to to take on more. But when our glass is like right up at the top, that's our level of tolerance. And if our level of tolerance is impacted because we have multiple stressors, then 
one new life transition, especially one that's unanticipated or even an anticipated one is going to be that much heavier and that much more difficult to go into because yeah. you're already at your maximum. Yeah. And it's like, I like we, I think sometimes we forget that we all have like a limit of what we can handle and that limit can look very, very different on the day as well. Yes. Depending on what else is going on. But I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to be able to like manage and handle everything that is thrown at us at all all the time. And then we're incredibly harsh on ourselves when we're not able to mm-hmm. manage things. It's like actually like, no, every we're human. Every single one of us has like a place where that glass is gonna get too full. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. We are overstimulated as a society. Period. We are already overstimulated. We have way too many things to compare ourselves to, which depletes our energy just within ourselves and makes it so that it's really hard to know, like, where do I fit into this this world? And am I good enough? And I think that's a really common message in a lot of, I don't think it, I know that's a very common message within a lot of us of where we ask our, ourselves the question, like, am I doing enough? Am I enough? And the better question is, do I feel satisfied? Yeah. Good point. Mm-hmm. And most people would say no. Yeah. Which is it's kind of sad to think about, right? Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things when I think of life transitions, and that's what I try to flourish within people, is if we can make the goal that your baseline is that you're, you feel satisfied with what you're doing or that you have enough things in your life that do bring you satisfaction – it makes it that also builds our resiliency because we know we have stuff to look forward to or we know that there's things that fill our cup in like the good way, like that fill our tank in like the positive way that makes it so our level of tolerance is at a place where it can take on more if need be. I'm using a lot of hand gestures right now to the audience <laughs> and I keep like push it like putting it up and down. But um yeah, it, we we all have a, a level of tolerance and it ebbs and flows based on how many stressors we have going on at the time and how much we've been able to do for ourselves. Because a lot of the times we don't have enough time for ourselves because of all of our other life responsibilities. And when that happens, then we can also be feeling a lot of resentment because we're not able to attend to our own needs, even if it's like a low key resentment that we're not even identifying as such. Yeah. And then that's when we burn out. We burn out. Yeah. We burn out. Which I think also is one of those things where burnout gets spoken about about work mm-hmm. all the time. Like, oh, like, you know, try to avoid work burnout, do these things for yourself. But I feel like sometimes we can just get burnt out with like life responsibilities. Yeah. And healing. Healing burnout's a real thing too. If you're like, I'm about to change my life. And then you add too many things all at one time where you're hyper-focused on your traumas, your abilities to cope, you're building your resiliency. But that within itself, if you exhaust yourself within that, then not none of the information is going to come and you're going to stop anyways because you're absolutely exhausted or you've re-traumatized yourself or whatever that looks like. Yeah. So even over <laughs> trying to overheal. Yeah. Can do it too. Yeah. I so like part of my role at CMHA is I also like deliver like education workshops. Mm-hmm. And like I will always be like, whatever you take away from this, do not take away like doing each and every single thing that I've spoken yes. about. Because like I know I would not be able to like walk away with all these different things and be like, okay, now I will start doing like a meditation for myself. I'll start doing some walking. I'll start thinking about my nutrition. I'll start thinking about going to counseling. I'll start doing all these different things. It's like, no, like I don't have time for that. Like take away like maybe one thing that sounded like, oh, maybe I could squeeze that in. Yes. Because like it's, I think we do sometimes just like go ham on things where it's like, okay, yeah. I have the motivation right now to make the change. Yes. So I'm going to make all the changes. And then we're like, oh, wait, this is exhausting. Yeah. Because uh, those are life transitions within itself. If we're trying yeah. to do some healing work, regardless of what that healing work looks like, that's also transitioning something, even if it's small into your world and change is hard, good or bad. Yeah. That's- that's fair. Because like there's even that that um, they say it takes 21 days to build a habit. Mm-hmm. They've done enough research that it's actually closer to 87. Um, so even people who are like, if I make it to the 21 day mark, like 
it'll be a part of my life. And then they feel really defeated when it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and even, I still even feel like the eight, like 87 days feels like sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is not part of my habit yet. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just so, when I learned that information, it kind of reduced a bit of that pressure of mm. being able to be like, okay, well, after three weeks, I can add this new habit or this new um, method of coping or whatever that is versus being like, okay, give yourself some grace. It's not feeling natural yet. Yeah. It's not just naturally the thing that comes to my mind when it's like, okay, this is the time I do this thing or whatever. Yeah. That's fair. Nice. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to life transitions, like we've spoken about how the heart (laughs) So, like, let's say maybe we realize we're experiencing a life transition. That's where we're at right now. Like, what would you say we can do to kind of, like, help ourselves through that? Or maybe even, like, what are things that don't help us through that as well? The first thing is acknowledging that you don't have to be happy about the change. I think there's that there's not one way that we're supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. That is, like, the number one bit. Because I've had so many people talk to me, like whether through like my nursing profession or my counseling profession, who are beating themselves up because they feel they should be feeling a certain way or they because people are like, oh, you must be so happy uh, at a wedding, for example. Mm-hmm. So you go up to the the person who's about to get married and you say, oh, my gosh, like you must be so excited. Like this is so amazing. And if the person then says, well, I'm feeling really overwhelmed with like all the planning, like it's a lot. They're like, oh, but I mean, like, this is such a wonderful time of year. Oh, and then you're going to have babies. And like, then that person's feeling like, yeah, I just said that I'm struggling, but yet I'm supposed to be this happy bride or Mm -hmm. groom or yeah, it sucks. But that's like one of those examples of like, oh, I should be feeling this way because it's a happy thing. Yeah. I feel like that is a big thing as well for parents. Or whoever it's like, um, like a new caregiver. Yep. Because society is very much like, oh, like you have a healthy baby. Like you should be so happy. I enjoy every moment. Like every moment is a piece of joy. And so many new caregivers are like, I, I am very grateful that I have a happy baby. But there is so much other feelings going on right now. Maybe I'm even grieving the fact that I now I'm responsible for another human being for the rest of my life. Whereas before I wasn't Um, like grieving that level of freedom or like maybe I'm worried and I'm anxious because now I that like I am responsible. Yes. Um, Even people who are like, I've wanted to be a mom my entire life. It doesn't mean that they aren't um, uh, potentially I'm going to get postpartum. Yeah. They they could get postpartum. Um, and even on like the opposite side of that, if you have a child with differing abilities where people are like, oh, that must be so hard versus showing and sharing that excitement of this new newborn. Yeah. Which is also devastating. Yeah. Because like the person's like, I'm elated. Like I'm so excited about this new little life in my in my world. Yeah. And then people can poo-poo on the party because like their perception is like, oh, that must suck. Yeah. And it's like, what do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. What's your right to tell me that it's going to suck? Yeah. 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 I think that's huge. It's just like, again, I think we always have this like image almost in our heads of like, this is how it should look. This is how Mm -hmm. it should feel. And then when it doesn't match up to that, which I mean, how often does it, does life ever match up to the perfect image that we have in our minds um yeah then we feel even worse because like you say I should be happy that I am starting a new job when actually maybe I'm really nervous I should be really happy that I'm I've finished school how exciting I don't have to go to school every day and actually maybe I'm really scared or I don't know what to do I feel out of control like there's all these different things where Like there's no one way to feel about things. Yeah. And even with grief, for example, like I've heard so many people beat themselves up that they're not grieving hard enough. Mm. That they're like, I feel like I should be sadder or more angry. And I talk about the stages of grief at that point too, of like 
those ebb and flow. So -hmm. there are days that the anger is going to come and there are days that sadness are going to come. But the severity or the intensity of those emotions, those are yours and yours alone because we cannot predict how we are going to feel with a loss, regardless of what that loss is. Yeah. There's no one way. There's no wrong way to grieve and there's no right way to grieve. Yeah. You get to experience those emotions at your pace because that's what your body and your mind are, are creating. Well, yeah, I know even when like my uh, Nana passed away, initially I was almost like I was like in that numb stage. I yes. kind of didn't necessarily experience too much. And then it wasn't until like two weeks later I was at work and I just started sobbing. Yes. And I was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> like it's coming now kind of thing and but at the time I was also like I felt really bad because and up until those two weeks I felt really bad because I wasn't like upset and I was like it was my dad's mum so I was like oh my goodness like I hope my dad doesn't think that like I don't care about like my nana like I do I just it like there's it's just not there right now yeah it's so interesting grief is so personalized so personalized yeah and yeah that beginning phase I hate that it's actually called the denial phase Mm. because it's not it's not necessarily denial because I very it's very rare that someone's like this isn't real other than like at the very very beginning but our bodies are in shock it's more of a shock phase where we're just kind of like existing in our world maybe not be feeling fully real we could be very disconnected from our bodies actually at that time yeah and sometimes like I think part of my thing was as well, like having, I think I had a bit of a, like a realization of like, oh, like she's not going to be there on like the next time we meet. And then I was like, oh, like mm-hmm. it like really mm-hmm. sunk in kind of thing. Like, yes. I think it just took a while for my mind to process what it meant. Yep. Yeah. And process that there is change. Yeah. happening. Yeah. It's uh. Definitely, yeah, it's interesting as grief just because it's so, so different for each and every one of us, mm-hmm. um, which then can also create so many issues because, like, maybe there is a family member who's like, why aren't you sad? Or maybe there's a family member who's really angry and people are like, stop being angry. That's not helpful. Like, yeah. I mean, none of that helps. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the shoulds. It's the shoulds. Mm. You should be this or you shouldn't be this. And it's yeah. like, who made the rules? Yeah. Honestly, who who made that rule of what it should and should look like? Yeah. Nobody. Our own perception, our pressures from the universe. Like the amount of times I, I like I was even just watching the Harry and Meghan Markle documentary. Mm-hmm. And one of the women was at the wedding and she's like, I had to tell myself, don't cry. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, like, why? Yeah. What a beautiful moment in celebration of love. Why are you not allowed to cry? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great point. Yeah. Oh, society. But the other thing, that, so grief is very high, heavily associated with life transitions mm-hmm. because a change has occurred. So yeah. typically if there's change, some loss has happened, whether it's a big or a little loss. The other huge thing that can come associated with life transitions is an identity crisis. Who am I? Mm, okay. Who am I in this new role? What parts of my, a different version of myself do I want to bring forward? Do I feel like I'm a living my life or am I living a life for someone else? There's all these questions of what does my life look like for me? Like, who am I? And this is a big one in people's early 20s and then also hitting their 30s. It's almost like that decade kind mm-hmm. of thing of like, who am I in my 20s? Who am I going to be in my 30s? Who am I going to be in my 40s? And I think our brains just naturally look at numbers and think of them as like milestones. Yeah. Well, even that actually makes me think of my like partner turned 30 this year. Um, and I wasn't really thinking like much about it. And then he was like, as I happened to like, I think I asked like, oh, like, how do you feel about it? And he's like, in all honesty, like, I feel like everyone talks about how in your 30s you have everything together and you know what you're doing. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what I want to do for work. I don't know what I want to do long term for like with life. Like, and that's stressing me out because everyone tells me you should have it figured out by the time you turn 30. Yeah. And I was like, don't worry about that. That's just like a number. 
like and you don't ever have to have those things figured out that's okay if you don't but like yeah there's those external pressures of like people being like oh like just so you know like when you turn like this age mm-hmm. like things get better and that's so not true <laughs> yeah otherwise like midlife crises even mm-hmm. for example like that that term being coined is like a lot of that that comes from being a space of life transition where you may have had kids and you're like you're now about to be on the brink of it being an empty nester or maybe even your kids are just busier and so like your responsibility as a parent is lightening up because they're actually more independent and doing their own thing and and then we have more time to think and have these existential moments of what is my life mm-hmm. what when if I died today like what did my life look like and all of these types of questions can kind of pop up yeah yeah that's and I feel like a lot of it comes as well like we often feel like we have to have like a perfect plan yeah of what life is and what life is going to look like which then that I feel like that creates then two sides one side of like that it's essential like oh my goodness like what Am I, is what I'm doing right now right or should I be doing something different mm-hmm. but then also it means that maybe if we do have this um idea in our head and then a big change comes along a big life transition that like throws us off and we're like oh my goodness like well I thought this is what mm-hmm. was gonna happen and now that's not gonna happen yeah when our expectations don't align with what the current circumstances are and this can happen in relationships too some of the biggest turmoil happens when two people's expectations are not matching Mm -hmm. so one person expects one thing and the other person expects something else and then then it creates chaos right it's the same with even just like within ourselves of this is the expectation I had this didn't come to fruition so therefore does that make me a failure and I I might one of my favorite quotes uh, Robert something is the uh, I'm completely blanking on his last name but it's um there is no failure only feedback Okay, And I really love that because it kind of relinquishes that responsibility of being perfect all the time because mm-hmm. perfect, we are perfectly imperfect. That's one of my favorite positive affirmations because, yeah, if things, expectations do not align with what we expected of our lives or hoped for our lives, that can breed depression, yeah. lack of motivation, inability to feel pleasure. So even if you don't have a chemical depression, all those symptoms can be there because you're feeling very defeated because yeah. things didn't work out the way you expected. Yeah. And even, yeah, that is, I can totally see how that would, yeah, they like kind of create that feeling of like either like worthlessness or um, feelings of dread, right? Mm-hmm. All those different things. Oh, yeah. And it feeds into the, if there's that little voice in your head that says you're not enough and constantly is trying to prove to yourself that you are enough and, you have to drop out of school, whether it's finances or whether it just wasn't the right um, wasn't the right courses that you were mm-hmm. taking. It just didn't align with what you then ended up later wanting for your future. Like for myself, I went into psych nursing school when I was 18 years old. I thought that was going to be my career forever. And then when I hit 30, I was like, <laughs> I don't I don't like the system that I'm working within. I feel like there's so much more that I can be doing. But what does that look like? And then I found counseling where I have such a deep and meaningful passion for that work, more above and beyond what psych nursing even felt like for me. But I also acknowledge that there's a potential for that to change again in the future too. And what direction would that look like? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that is a huge, huge thing that a lot of like young adults experience is I don't know what the experience is in Canada, but my experience in the UK was you like go to like high school um, and then the way that it works in the UK is actually you leave high school at 16 and most people will go to college till they're 18. And when you do that, you have to pick four subjects to study for those two years. So that already is narrowing your choices. So at 16, you're already making decisions that's going to affect maybe what you can do long term. Yeah. Um, or you can choose to do that or you can go to and be an apprentice. Basically, right. you can choose to do hands-on or you can choose to uh, continue education. I mean, right. an apprentice is still continue education, but more yeah. like book education, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then again, when you're 17, it's like, okay, you need to start looking at universities. 
then you're getting pushed to go to university by your college, by everyone around you, because now going to university is the new norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's like, okay, like I'm 17 and they're like, okay, you need to think basically about what you want to do for the rest of your life. Cause you're going to spend a fortune. Yeah. Time to figure it out Yeah, and, and go into massive debt that if you can't get a job immediately out of school, that's going to be above minimum wage or then what? Yeah. Then you're sitting there with all this debt and you're like, I hope I find my passion. Yeah. And that's the thing is you kind of like go for something just based on on what maybe subject you're enjoying at the time. Like I always thought I wanted to be an electronic engineer. And then in my second year of college, I started really struggling with physics. And I was like, okay, well, that's thrown out the window. Um, so that's not gonna happen. And then I was like, maybe I'll be a graphic designer. I really enjoy doing graphics. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, mm, I enjoy designing and I enjoy being creative, but I don't know if I would enjoy like having someone tell me something really specific that they need creating versus right. that creative outlet. And then my fourth subject was psychology that I'd taken at college. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go do psychology then. And like, that's how I ended up doing a psych degree. But a lot of people I know and like I ended up working out for me in the sense that I am interested in mental health and like I know from like work experience now that I know at the moment I always want to do something where I'm like supporting people in some shape or form yeah but there's a lot of people especially off like even like my undergrad that I'm still friends with where they kind of gone into like human related services and now they're all like, I don't think I should have ever even done a psych degree. Like, I think I want to be an accountant. Or my partner did a psych degree and he's like, I think I kind of want to be a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, he was like, I don't think I should have ever done a psych degree. I don't know why I did a psych degree. And he's like, well, I did it because I was pushed to go to university. Yeah, figure it out. Figure yeah. it out right And it was now. like, a, like Lich said, it was just like a, he had the computer in front of him and was like, check. Yeah like panicked yep. and so many people that I know that a lot of my friends now that were kind of like mid to late 20s are all like okay like I actually rushed into that too too much mm-hmm. and if I could do it again I would pick something different or do a different route well and from the nurse perspective from me I've known people in nursing school who they go do their first practicum because it's not usually until your second year where you do your practicums. I'm not sure about UBC or UBCO, um, but in lots of cases, it's not until your second year where they have already spent so much time and energy because a nursing degree is no joke. Mm-hmm. Like do their first practicum and they're like, I hate this. Yeah, I absolutely hate this. But then there's this, even within that, like I have an identity as a nursing yeah. student. I had this planned identity of being a nurse. And sometimes just within our roles, within what we're doing in school, we identify as that type of student. But even transitioning from high school student, university student, post-school human. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think because I went straight from like college to university, I kind of didn't feel the transition quite so much because it was kind of like I'm going from school to school yeah kind of thing but then when I left university I was like whoa yeah what is this working world (laughs) yeah kind of thing like I worked like jobs while at university but it would be like one day a week kind of thing to tide me over like financially um but like as soon as it was coming to like full-time work, I was like, whoa, there's all these new things I need to work out. Like, oh, what's like these taxes things? And mm-hmm. oh, like my, like I need to like sort of rent and all these different kind of things where it's like, oh, like I don't know how a heating bill works. Yeah, especially if you lived at residence <laughs> yeah. or something. Like if you lived on campus mm-hmm. where a lot of stuff was, like oh, even if you had a calf and went to the cafeteria for food and didn't even yeah. have to cook for yourself, right? I think that sometimes as well, what comes with those life transitions, which can be which can be really hard, is there's quite often a lot of like learning involved at the same time. So not only are you overwhelmed with all this change, potentially in fight or flight, but you're also trying to learn all these things 
so that you can like cope. Yeah. Well, and with fight or flight, when our anxiety is high, it turns off our prefrontal cortex. What is our prefrontal cortex? That's our logic side of our brain. That's the problem solving, the figuring out part of our brain. And if we are in hyper arousal because we are just so overstimulated with all these changes, makes it really hard to bring our brain back into a space where it's feeling less overwhelmed and being able to actually navigate all the shenanigans. So another big piece of life transitions and teaching that I do is recognizing what are your fight or flight symptoms, what are your free symptoms, and what are the symptoms you have that are showing that your body is feeling safe and connected and um, not in an overstimulated state. And that's the goal. You're trying to find more of the safety and connection feels. Yeah. And then looking at like, what is our brain doing? Trying to relinquish that shame that comes along with not being able to figure it out. Well, you're anxious. You have way too many things happening all at one time. Yeah. And that's actually like a really cool thing to even think about, right? As well of like um, knowing what your like fight response is, mm-hmm. knowing what you like, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily know. And I'm even just thinking to myself right now, I'm like, mm, I can probably think of a couple of things, but maybe not necessarily be able to like pin it down. Yeah. And I can imagine that would be so like helpful to know like, okay, like this is where I'm at right now. So maybe I'm not going to do things that where we need to make some really important decisions right now. Bingo. Bingo. That's that's exactly it. When we know that our fight or flight is activated and we're struggling to find those anchors or grounding moments or being able to bring ourselves back to the present because we are looking way too far in the future or grieving way too many things from our past, our brain is not in the present. And so to make a, a decision that feels fully informed versus a decision that we're making in the state of fight or flight because sometimes we're like, nope, I'm moving. I'm getting the F out of here. That could be a flight response versus the logical response of actually that I do have some stability. I'm just feeling really overwhelmed and overstimulated right now. Can I bring myself back to a space where I can make a rational decision about this? Yeah. It's wild that they don't teach this stuff. It's wild that they don't teach this stuff in like early years of understanding what our fight or flight looks like. It's one of the best things that I I do with my clients. And even when I do teaching about anxiety, I the very first thing we do is we learn about our fight, flight, freeze responses, and then also learn about what are our triggers or what I also like to call slivers. Um, so the slivers are like the more the mild to moderate icks that we get in okay. our bodies. Yeah. Triggers are like crisis mode. Yeah. Um, reactions, but then what are our glimmers? What are the things that make us feel safe and connected and actually make us feel satisfied? And I love that because also I think a lot of, especially like working in mental health, sometimes we forget like the things that like make us feel safe, yeah. the things that make us feel protected, the make things that make us feel satisfied. Yeah, sometimes we're like so focused on like yeah, we're not necessarily always strength focused, right? Mm-hmm. Well, because our brain, our brain's main purpose is to keep us alive. Yeah. That's its only point and purpose that it, from the simplest of explanations. Yeah. So if we're navigating a whole bunch of things and if our brain's purpose is to make us survive, it is frequently and constantly looking for negative things to protect us from. Yeah, it's, it's set point is to look for danger because that's what we had to do when we were in times where we did have actual major threats to our life on a regular basis. Yeah. Nowadays, those threats have minimized. They've changed, I should say more so. But our brains cannot, so like the part of our brain that says like, ah, it can't differentiate between whether it's an actual threat to our life or a perceived threat. And a perceived threat is based on all of our past experiences and how we have started to view the world based on the times we've had to survive in different ways yeah. and navigate stressors. And like our brain like responds the same way, right? Whether it's like an old style classic fear, like um, there's a bear in the woods, yes. right? Yeah, that's the classic. That's the classic is like, yeah. Um, but like our brain is going to react the same way if we're worried about taxes. Absolutely. Which when someone told me that, I was like, oh, that gives me like that helps me actually be a little bit kinder to myself because sometimes I'll be really like on the edge about something and a bit like, but why, Becky? Like, this isn't going to hurt you. Like, you're going to survive this. Like, yeah, it would be extremely inconvenient, but like, 
why do you feel so intense about this Mm -hmm. and then yeah someone was like oh it's because your brain like actually just is responding the same way as if like there was a bear directly in front of you charging you and I was like oh cool great still get to rock the same stress hormones that are going through your body (laughs) so it's like it gave me like a little bit of a oh I can be kind to myself about that yeah yeah it's so fascinating our brains are so fascinating they're very annoying (laughs) (laughs) even there they do a lot of great things but a lot of great things (laughs) fabulous things even but they can definitely um when they're trying to protect us yeah especially if we've had to protect ourselves a lot Mm -hmm. in our past it makes it more difficult to be able to recognize and acknowledge what's perceived and what's real i actually just did a tiktok um yesterday where a girl like it was a stitch to a woman who said how can I teach my fight or flight to only be activated when I have to literally survive not when I'm needing to answer a phone call (laughs) and I thought that was so funny and so many people like used the the audio and I was like I'm responding to this because like there are ways to do it (laughs) yeah this is really good it's a really good analogy Mm mm-hmm because I think a lot of, I feel like that That's way. a relatable yeah. one. Yeah. Is, but especially when I'm in the office and the phone rings, like everyone kind of laughs on my team because they'll hear me like do a big like, <sighs> so far I like answer it. Yeah. Because yeah. you never know yeah. who's going to be on the other end of the phone. Yeah. We all have different reasons why it would be anxiety provoking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my thing is just, I'm like, well, they're going to ask me. Am I going to know the answer? Is it going to create more work? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Am I going to have enough energy for this? Am I going to have enough knowledge for this? Yeah. Do I have the capacity if someone is calling in anger? All that stuff. Yeah. Is there like anything else that you would say is like particularly helpful when it comes to thinking about managing through life transitions? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My method of therapy is very positive psychology based. So I acknowledge and recognize like the biology of our body in regards to our anxiety But I also like to help people um, learn what their natural strengths are. There's a specific quiz that I I do or that I send to my clients. It's called the VIA Character Strengths Quiz. It's free. Uh, You just have to sign up um, and just like create a, a profile. But when you know your strengths, you can start adding those bits and pieces into your life, which can also start to add more life satisfaction, even in the chaos. That's a very very summarized um, explanation. But just knowing our strengths and being able to recognize and acknowledge them into our day-to-day lives can make us feel a little bit more fulfilled, a little less overwhelmed. And also like when we're in chaos and we're struggling to find the positives in our world, we can feel that not enoughness that much stronger. And so if we know what our natural strengths are, it's just a firm reminder that they're in there. They're, yeah. They are there. They're present. You can still do them just right now. There's a lot going on that's impacting your ability to see how capable you truly are. And maybe we're also not going through a life transition that aligns with our natural strengths too. Like especially people who have like for just example, like ADHD, maybe organization is one of the areas that you struggle with. And suddenly you're having to organize a whole bunch of people like in a new leadership role, for example. Okay. That could be even more overwhelming for a person where their natural strength is not. Yeah. But their natural strength might be creativity. So they're really good at getting people like excited about a new project because there's this really brilliant yeah. idea. And that's so I, interestingly enough at CMHA, we do strength finders when people start. I love strength finders. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. um, because then that's supposed to like, help you acknowledge what your strengths are right mm-hmm. and what was really interesting was um someone I worked with one time was like remember like these are like your strengths but it also can be your weakness at the same time and was like intrigued and like my top one is developer mm-hmm. and he was like so when you think about it like what the things you enjoy most and it was like creating new things like being able to make change like develop new programming that kind of stuff and he was, then he was like how do you feel about just maintaining stuff day to day and I was like oh I hate it and he was like yeah it's because your strength is developing not maintaining yes and I was like oh that's so insightful because then I was like okay that makes me feel better when I'm like why am I not enjoying this 
at the moment and it's because like oh I've got nothing new going on yes that I can like kind of get my tea stuck into and which then helps me have that awareness of like oh it's not that I not enjoy what I'm doing it's just the fact that like right now this isn't based in my strengths yep yeah so it doesn't feel as fulfilling if we're not utilizing our strengths the other day-to-day stuff does not feel as fulfilling and that's why it is important that if we know what our strengths are even if we can't embrace them 100% there are bits and pieces in our world that we get to use them yeah that's really cool Mm-hmm. So trying to add more of that into our world is great. And I know that some people like because life transitions can be very energy draining and there's like a lot of things going on. Even adding the simplest, tiniest little things can make a big difference or an impact. And um, even a gratitude practice in the beginning phases of really actively looking for what is working. Yeah. What am I thankful for today? Like what did go right that can be a huge thing for the end of the day before we're going to bed because if we're just ruminating on all the awful stuff or the struggles we had or the errors we made, then everything feels like a loss. But there's no way an entire day was a loss. Yeah. Some type of glimmer of hope or a, a, even a tiny glimmer of success occurred, even if it was just making it through. Yeah. And even on that rate, someone actually said this to me one time. It's like, oh, that's actually really helpful because I was like having such, I'd had such a bad morning where just like everything had gone the opposite of my way. And I was like, for like this is my day. It's going to be one of those days. And he was like, oh, you know, it's never too late to restart your day. I was like, what? And he was like, you can choose to restart your day just because like you woke up at whatever time. And technically the day finishes at midnight. Like you can choose that like in the next half an hour, you're going to reset. And I was like, oh, yeah. Which I can imagine also would be helpful if like when you go maybe through life transitions and like maybe it has just been a really chaotic morning and you can say like, but I like that doesn't mean this day or this week is going to be like this. Yeah. Yeah. And every single morning I wake up and there was a TikTok <laughs> that this person had like this good little jingle, but it was like, today's going to be a good day. <laughs> going to be a good day. And so like I do that <laughs> while I'm getting ready, but I also um, name off three things of why today is going to be a good day. Oh, what nice. are the three things that are, are about today that I know are going to be happening um, that I can look forward to and be excited about, even if it's low key excitement. I like that. That's a really cool idea. It's like setting an intention. Yeah. Just like a bit more of like a specific type of situation. Yeah. Kind of like sets you up to like have more of that like positive view on the Mm -hmm. day. Even if like you, there's going to be something stressful going on that day and you know it's going to be happening. You can still, it's still about like thinking about, okay, that's still going to be going on, but I can also acknowledge the good things that are going to happen yeah. as well. And even that thing that's stressful, being able to say, I have to say it was a lawyer appointment associated with like divorce, for example. Um, but that lawyer appointment's done. Yeah. It's checked off the list of the stuff you need to get completed to go through this difficult transition yeah. and being able to acknowledge like after that is done, I can check that off the list and that then I don't have to do it again. Yeah. Or at least now I know and have that knowledge Versus, I don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah. That's huge. Mm-hmm. I like, I use that when I have to have like a difficult conversation because <laughs> it'll be like on my head, like on my mind for like a, a while. And then I'll be like, but if you do it today, you don't have to think about it anymore. Bingo. Like the space is gone. Yeah. And there's this thing where like I'd been thinking about it like for a month. And then I was just like, you just need to do it. Cause like every night, um, me and my partner do like a little mindfulness thing before bed he has like some app um and I was realizing every night kind of halfway through the mindfulness I'd like open my eyes and think oh you need you've still not had that conversation and I was like "Mm, that's not healthy um and that's how I ended up like being like okay you don't like you will stop doing that you will if you have the conversation Ooh, anticipatory anxiety does not get enough credit for how uncomfortable. That's a perfect example of how our thoughts can create anxiety. Mm, Yeah. Right? Because if we're anticipating this conversation and we're like, this is how it's going to go. Like, oh my gosh, that unpredictability, that worry of like, what is this going to look like? 
it's scary. Yeah. But anticipatory anxiety can sometimes be worse than the actual event itself because yeah. we're we're working ourselves up too. So our stress hormones are still continuing to increase about that specific thing because we're freaking ourselves out. Yeah, 100%. Like I think it all, like most of my experiences, what I have thought is going to happen is way worse than actually what does happen yeah. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it are fears are confirmed. Yeah. Sometimes they are confirmed. And then that way, and then that sometimes gets imprinted on our mind of mm-hmm. like, oh, see, I knew it was going to be like that. Yeah. And actually our brains like that because it feels like confirmation. It feels like I'm right. But those are times we don't actually want to be right. Yeah. Because <laughs> then it imprints, it gets in there of like, next time I have to have a conversation, then yep, I'm going to get yelled at or it's going to go horribly wrong. Yeah. But that's typically not going to be the case it's probably a one-off or maybe you knew that that conversation wasn't going to go well because your previous conversations with that particular person went horribly wrong yeah exactly Mm -hmm. yeah all right so I'm aware of time so is there anything else that you really kind of want to chat about around life transitions I guess so if I were to kind of like summarize, so the first point was um, try not to beat yourself up. There's not a certain way that you should be feeling um, and that even though other people may tell you that it should be a certain way, that that's not a reality. How we um, experience things is different from person to person, whether that's grief or even happiness and joy at varying levels. The next thing was acknowledging our anxiety. Um, recognizing what our fight or flight looks like and just just not beating ourselves up about the fact that we can't figure everything out at, at all at one time. A lot can be happening within just one shift or change in our world. The next one was remember or just recognizing that there can be a bit of an identity crisis. We can sometimes be wondering like, who am I? And to kind of help with that is finding our strengths and recognizing and acknowledging our strengths. And then, yeah, the the gratitude, um, looking for things that are going well or are going right so that our poor brain that is so naturally adjusting to keeping us alive actually is like, okay, no, not everything is terrible. My brain is telling me everything is terrible, but truly not every single thing yeah. is terrible. And that's not minimizing our stress at all. It's just acknowledging that there are little bits and pieces that are okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anything else in particular, but just knowing that there's no shame in how you're reacting and responding. There's no reaction that is too much. You're not being overdramatic. Your anxiety is telling you something is wrong. And if the intensity is impacting your life to the point where you are struggling to be able to manage reach out to a professional, ask for help, even if it's crisis lines and being able to have someone get you back into the moment, reduce the panic, but just reach out for for help if your loved ones are unavailable. Yeah, because we don't have to like go through life transitions on our own. Nope, not usually. We're not taught to. We're not yeah. taught how to grieve. We're not taught how to manage trauma. We're not taught how to manage anxiety. We just suck it up and keep going with hustle culture. Just yeah. figure it out. Yeah, basically. So like try to avoid that, basically. Yeah. Look look into your extended benefits, if, especially if you're a student. There could be people on campus. There could be different resources that you don't even know about. Um, look into it. Look into the wellness services um, where you're at if you're um, in school. Um, you just never know what you're going to come across and even if it's a course online if you have the capacity to do a course online um, maybe you'll learn some things that help reduce shame and just make you feel more um, ready to take on the world I guess because that's the thing is when we get to a point where we're like I can't I can't do this like this is too much that's a scary place to to be and to feel and I acknowledge it I've been in that position um, but we can make it out of it and we can find ways to move forward and and feel that hope and that glimmer and get through the dark tunnel and see the light. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Paige. You're welcome. Is there anything else that you kind of want to add up before we finish up today? Um, Other than if anyone has any questions, comments, concerns or feedback from the perspective of anything I shared today, um, my DMs are open on the Instagram 
um, which is at anotherchapter.ca, or you could also follow me on TikTok. I love to spread wellness information on the TikTok. <laughs> and I'm like so like late stage millennial of I call it the TikTok. <laughs> Um, but I love sharing wellness information on social media platforms. So if you like what you heard today, please, please do give me a follow. Um, and also if you are looking for a counselor, um, if I'm not the right match for you, I usually have a good list of people who are accepting people. Um, I am accepting clients and my practice will be having a new, um, counselor joining me in the new year. So we will be happy to have her who has a whole different set of skills than even I do. And I'm very excited. Well, thank you, Paige. I really appreciate you coming on today and just sharing a wealth of knowledge. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's been a very useful episode for folks to to listen to. Yeah, and like I said, any questions, comments, concerns, I'm happy to clarify. I might even make a TikTok about it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, Paige. And thank you, everyone, for listening today. Goodbye. Thanks again for listening to us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can find us on all major podcast streaming platforms. And if you don't want to miss any future episodes, you can follow us or subscribe to What Really Works. To find more from Discovery College, go to discoverycollegecolona.com. And thanks again to Staple Studio in supporting us to produce this podcast.